1: Hello, here we are. A little intro for you. Jenny, um, I asked our friends uh, on Discord. We have a Patreon-only Discord, which is a very fun place to be. And I asked them if they would prefer that you keep doing the Sexual tension Award results in the introduction of the episodes, and they demanded it be so. Um, so we missed a week tasking you with giving us the results from Squeeze and Conduit all at one time.
2: Indeed, I have heard the people's cry (laughs) demanding my reascension to the top (laughs) of Mount Sexual Tension, from which I will bellow the results with fervor and aplomb. The Sexual Tension Award results for Season 1, Episode 3, Squeeze, are as follows. Shocking no one in a very sad fourth place position with 2% of the vote. It's Tom Colton and the latter. Suck it, Tom. That's what <laughs> we invite you to do. You suck. <laughs> in third place with 9% of the vote. Yuck. We have Tombs and his little
1: gifties. <laughs> 9% yuck, definitely duck, duck. given only for the use of the word
2: gifties, you know? Indeed. Uh, in second place with 27% of the vote, we have Scully and Mulder. Not what I was expecting. Oh, but wait but, you till know, you see the winner. The The premise of the Sexual Tension Awards is about focusing on where the most tension is, not necessarily where the most, you know, companionship is or whatever. <laughs> and I would say that that the winner for Squeeze definitely has the most tension of the the offerings that we put forth with 62% of the vote in first place. Really... Maybe the top will-they-won't-they on network television until Ross and Rachel show up on Friends in a couple years. It's Scully and the bath. Will she ever get in it? We don't know yet.
1: A lot of folks, Jenny, said they voted for this specifically because you referred to it as a will-they-won't-they. So Hell yeah.
2: (laughs) In season one, episode four, Conduit... I have great news, there are more results. In, oh my God, fourth place with 12% of the vote, it's Mulder and Scully. (laughs) But I can understand how they were edged out by the third place winner, with 15% of the vote, Tessa and the Drama. There's a lot going on there. And then of course, there's the natural magnetism of who made it into slot number two, with 16% of the vote, ones and zeros. Can't keep them apart. Cannot. But what you really can't keep apart, in first place with 57% of the vote is all of us and Mulder's shirtless chest. God bless America. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jenny, you know, some folks were
1: worried that if we put Scully and Mulder in every poll that they'd win them all, we got 50-50 right now. Okay. We're at a 50 split. So I applaud everyone for being committed to the truth. It is out there and it's is is out in there. Here. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. Also, Jenny, um, you're not even in Maine right now. As of the airing of this, you're all the way in sunny Los Angeles. What the hell are you doing over there?
2: I am A, chilling, and B, I'm here (laughs) to celebrate the release of my instrumental album, From the Forest Floor. Uh, That's coming out on Friday, May 5th. This very Friday. I'm really, really excited about it. And on May 4th, We are celebrating the album with a very special listening party at the Dolby Atmos Theater. The album was mixed in Dolby Atmos, which is sort of this like 3D sonic experience. Um, And this is a room that's specially calibrated exactly for such a listening experience. Uh, We'll be listening to the whole record top to bottom. And then I will be in conversation with two out of my three collaborators on the record. Editor of the pod, John Mark Nelson and BFF of the pod, Rishi K. Shearway. It's going to be really fun. And it's actually free. All you have to do is RSVP and you can find the details if you are in or around Los Angeles on my website, JennyOandYoungs.com. Just click on events and you can find the event listing and uh, link to RSVP. It would be so awesome uh, to see some of you out there. And um, I'd, I'd love for you to experience this record with me in a very unique setting.
1: Yeah, that sounds very cool. Do you think that out of you, Rishi, and John Mark, anyone will say, may the fourth be with you?
2: It's like, Rishi loves Star Wars, but also he might, and I know this is hard to even conceive of, but he might consider that fruit to be too (laughs) low-hanging. Wow, I cannot he wait might, to find he out He might the find results. some way. He might, like, think of a Victorian poem, which, <laughs> like, mentions some force. And he might, like, somehow meld those two things, you know? Oh, God, let it be so. Well, report back He might to really us. Professor Dad it up for us.
1: Uh, please, for those of us who cannot be with you in Los Angeles, report back on the results of that. Uh, I would like Indeed. to know. <laughs> all right let's uh let's go talk about a devil from jersey let's do it
3: what if it is a female Scully? how close is she to you or me does she feel emotion or her day is just spent
0: looking for food maybe she spends her day shopping
2: X-Files. That's The X-Files. A buffering rewatch adventure where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files one by one, spoiler free. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, ex-wife of Kristen Russo, and I grew up watching The X-Files. And I'm Kristen Russo, ex-wife of
1: Jenny Owen Youngs, and I have only ever seen five episodes of The X-Files. Today we're talking about season one, episode five, the Jersey Devil, or as some people like to say, the Jersey Devil. You know what I mean? Oh my God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am? Sorry, I just popped out. Long Island, come get your favorite daughter. <laughs> The Jersey Devil was written by Chris Carter, directed by Joe Napolitano, and originally aired on October 8th, 1993.
1: Joe Napolitano sounds like a guy who knows how to direct an episode called The Jersey Devil. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I do. This is the one where Mulder and Scully track a legendary creature that has roamed the New Jersey countryside for over 40 years. The New Jersey countryside,
2: you say, IMDb. Okay. Urban sprawl. Urban sprawl. (laughs) Producer LaToya Ferguson gives this episode a scary rating of one and a half out of five gnawed off appendages. Once again, she says one point is just for the theme song. Uh, but the opening scene of them singing <laughs> bingo when something ominous was about to go down did get me enough to add the point five. I'm sorry, I'm a coward. Never apologize, LaToya. Never, Never apologize. Never.
1: It took me a long time, Jenny, in this episode to understand who was gnawing off appendages. Like, I watched it through the second time and was like, pay closer attention because who is eating the people? You know what I mean? Like, it just was – it felt very wishy-washy throughout the episode. But I guess it was the – Well – because you, you were like oh it's the jersey devil but then you know Mulder is like she could have she could have eaten me when i when she saw me the first time she could have eaten me the second time she didn't eat me and then it was like yeah, okay it's so- interesting
2: M- Mulder does posit like she sensed i wasn't a threat but i don't know that a guy changing his tire on the side of the road would be perceived as a threat would be perceived
1: right? as a threat but maybe you know I, uh, Jenny and i have talked often about our experience in the new jersey woods um where we oh, got Oh boy well, I mean, it's relevant to the conversation. We got in between uh, Mama Bear and her baby bears, and so I'm just she's shaking her head at me. I haven't even said I've just set up. The, I'm not telling the story. I'm just saying maybe <laughs> the man in 1947 got in between the jer- mm. that Jersey Devil and his yep. then child. Because this is sure. we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to hear what you thought of this episode, but like. The grandpa devilette is the one that gets shot in the open. Grandpa
2: scene. devilette. Yeah, that's what I would... Or grandpa yes, devil. I would say we're looking at three generations of, air quotes, Jersey devils, which we'll get to okay. in a minute. Great. Uh and, and yeah, the 1947 Pine Barrens attack mid-tire change, we're, we're going to call that JD grandpa. Grandpa.
1: Uh, Okay, Jenny. So uh, thoughts on this episode slash thoughts on the Jersey Devil. Do you want to talk? You are the New Jerseyan uh, among us. So I don't know if you want to talk about the Jersey Devil.
2: Okay. Uh, Here's the thing.
1: (laughs) Here is the thing. It's like I asked you to talk about the Paramus Mall. You know, you're just like, listen.
2: (laughs) I want the Jersey Devil to... to at the very least receive some respect here, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. The thing about this episode is that this take on quote the Jersey Devil does not align with any Jersey Devil associated lore. Let me run this down for you. We're gonna we're gonna link to some supporting materials in the show notes. I want to direct people to the Jersey Devil episode of the podcast lore. I want to direct people to the NJ.gov <gasps> official New Jersey website's page about the Jersey what? Devil. Yeah, and I want to direct people to the Jersey Devil stories on the Weird New Jersey site. Uh, Kristen, are you familiar with Weird New Jersey at all? Yeah, like, uh, like peripherally, you know, I know of it. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with Weird New Jersey, uh, it's a magazine that is mostly comprised of reader stories of various paranormal unexplained and just generally weird things that occur in new jersey new jersey is the most densely populated state in the country or at least it was when i learned that fact in high school and as densely populated as it is with people it is so too densely populated with various weird things so when you follow the link to the weird new jersey jersey devil page what you'll see is a ton of accounts from various New Jersey folk, their experiences uh, with whatever's going on there. The the thing that really, forgive me, Kristen, gets my goat about the way that uh, the quote Jersey Devil is handled in this episode is, by all accounts that matter, <laughs> some as official as the NewJersey.gov website, <laughs> the Jersey Devil has a head like a horse, bat wings, clawed hands, a serpent tail, and long, slender deer-like legs. I'm looking at a picture. I'm
1: looking at a rendered drawing here of the Jersey Devil from the Philadelphia Bulletin in 1909, and that's exactly what the picture looks like, drawing.
2: Yeah, it's a real freak show of a cryptid. (laughs) Uh, And you had asked me before we started taping, is the Jersey Devil a cryptid? Yes. However, not in the case of this episode. So the looming cryptid corner jingle that I will one day have to make for this show is not getting made today uh, (laughs) because what we're dealing with in this episode is something I think you're going to like this called a relict, not a relic, but a relict with a T at the end. In biogeography and paleontology, a relict is a population or taxon of organisms that was more widespread or more diverse in the past. How about that? We've got this micro population of uh, people eating JDs. But like they aren't people eating JDS. They're like, well, they ate some people.
1: They eat them if they if they're there. It's kind of like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. well, listen, I don't know how I'm That's gonna. It's like, ever look, get... if
2: there's a burger on the grill, I'm gonna eat it. I'm not a vegetarian. Well, just like I was protecting, just like when I'm not eating a burger,
1: <laughs> I was just like, I was just protecting my kid. And now this dead guy is here, and like I'm hungry, so he's already dead because he was a threat to me. So I'm going to eat him. You know?
2: Okay. Okay,
1: I'm not. Listen, I don't know where I stand on the Jersey devil of it all, but I do agree with you. It is an interesting. So the 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 core of the episode is asking us to look at this. And there's a big, long talk about it in the middle of the episode. Dual nature of being a human. Right. Uh Uh, Jenny, you and I are. Well deep into the television show Yellow Jackets, which is a look at this very same idea. It's just that in the case of the Yellow Jackets, it is their survival after a crash in the woods Mm. that gives us this look of like, what would happen to a group of teenage girls if the only way they could survive is by like literally being off, like off the land, hunting, whatever, staying warm. How would it happen? What would become maybe chomping on a little leg you know what i mean eating
2: a sna- eating a snacky eating
1: a little snacky yeah um and so it was it was really fun to go, like go into hear them talking about this because clearly it's something that's on most humans minds at one point or another right like uh, whether to eat your whether to eat, yeah. fellow man. Yeah, whether to eat your fellow man or not. But, like, in all seriousness, like, we've talked about Buffy for seven seasons, and this was, like, the dual, like, are you a monster or are you a man? Like, what is our nature? Is our nature to, like, get dressed and brush our hair and go to the store, or is it to, like, fuck shit up and eat shit? You know what I mean? Like, what? The two... <laughs> the two genders.
2: Natures? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Anyway, all right, all we'll, right. we'll get more into it in, in specificity. But it w- it's interesting to lay that onto an already existent cryptid.
2: Yeah, it just seems like they wanted to set this in New Jersey. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. th- <laughs> and that's what happened. Um, cool. Okay, so in our little cold open, we get a family driving through the Pine Barrens. Uh, singing bingo was his name Man LaToya's not wrong. This does have a certain... (laughs) It does. Also,
1: children are not portrayed very nicely in this episode. I wanted to kill these children and have them (laughs) shut up, and I wanted to kill every child at the birthday party later. Wow. Loud. Every child is loud in this episode, you know?
2: Yeah. So, Dad (laughs) Paul pops a tire. Yes. Can I help you? but i just read my note uh and i said flat
1: tire i blame the kids no one should sing this loud and be this happy (laughs) oh my
2: god (laughs) i i noted that the timing of him getting this flat is impeccable because it's right on the beat of bingo
1: (laughs) this man manifested his own flat so that those kids would Mm. go the fuck to sleep you know
2: yeah Uh, in the middle of changing the tire, oh, no, don't you just hate it when you drop your flashlight and it rolls down the hill into the woods? (laughs) And even though you manage to come back up the hill with a flashlight, you're still doomed. Paul is dragged off into the woods screaming. Uh, and the following day, many police folk and bloodhounds eventually find his remains. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. In case you missed, the leg's been
2: eaten off. (laughs) RIP
1: leg. RIP leg. Uh, In case you missed that, it was set in 1947, there are at least two gentlemen wearing what I refer to as newsy caps to let us know that we are in the late 40s here.
2: Yeah, trying to sell you a paper. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I, I I posit the question in this scene. Did they really send this many people out to look for someone in the 1940s?
2: This is a whole... There was less going on. And yeah. None of them were, like, busy on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> and I celebrate that. Cool. Uh, take me back to the old days when search parties were well populated.
1: Yeah, you get uh, lost they track in the woods something. now. Nobody cares.
2: Yeah. They track something to a cave and they shoot the shit out of it and then we get the credits. Grandpa Devil grandpa devil
1: may he rest in peace okay (laughs) (laughs) i have one note for the buckle up (laughs) what i have one note for this next scene
2: i'm ready is it hanky panky
1: (laughs) (laughs) no no there's a scene a tiny little scene before we get to hanky panky jenny uh and it is in the fbi offices above ground and my only note is
2: blue suit salmon button up (laughs) Yeah, once again wearing her cross necklace tight up under, uh, the outside of the collar. Like,
1: I mean, she would be wearing her long dangly necklace, but fucking. (laughs) What's his face? She
2: needs all the protection she can get. All these cases she's working with Mulder. That's true. Uh, she walks in on Mulder in his cave reading. Hanky Panky magazine I looked this up just to make sure that it's an in-universe magazine Kristen is nodding she also looked it up
1: yes Jenny and I both googled uh, within the last 48 hours Hanky Panky
2: (laughs) magazine
1: (laughs) magazine uh it is fictional yes
2: she says working hard Mulder (laughs)
1: So a couple of things about Hanky Panky. A, I I paused it, I texted Jenny, I said, don't worry about writing down every headline from the front of Hanky Panky. I've done that work for us. I'll I'll get my bonus payment for that effort you know, <laughs> at, at a later time. Um, we've got cybersex, can you really catch a computer virus? Death Wish, hedonism in the 90s, weird confessions, letters from a small Midwestern college, and my favorite headline because these are pretty this is why I thought it was a real magazine I was like they're not even like they're not even that funny they just sound like regular headlines <laughs> uh but the the last one is a bountiful bevy of beautiful bare-bottomed babes so yeah shout out to whoever wrote that one uh, because I love it and Jenny you actually this is amazing and I don't know what it means except for that uh David Duchovny was simply looking at a playboy when I went to write down all of the titles, you can actually see behind the cover, and it says Playboy on it. Like, it literally is a Playboy that he's looking at. This <laughs> is behind the cover of Hanky Panky.
2: Oh my God. So, he's apparently reading a story about a woman who claims to have been taken aboard a spaceship and held in an anti gravity chamber without food and water for three days. He's, he's wearing an X File.
1: Um, Scully X-file. pulling her like, dikiest move yet. I think I don't know how else to classify this. <laughs> and as a as a dike myself, I am claiming that word. She just sort of leans back and says, "Anti gravity is right." And like, she's she's being sarcastic. Yes, Scully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: She comes bearing a little gifty for Mulder: news of a body in the New Jersey woods, missing an arm and shoulder, apparently eaten off
1: oh my god don't worry she thinks she's just fucking telling him a tale that will be of interest but no Mulder has a fucking x-file for that he has an x-file for everything this guy
2: yeah Mulder whips out a file right quick ever heard of something called the jersey devil scully Uh,
1: Mulder. Okay, so Mulder says that Scully should read the file. Scully literally scampers after him and says, "Um, save me the trouble. And I write in my notes, guys, this is level four flirting. This is Hmm. the flirting is is really
2: getting your crush to read you a file.
1: Yeah. On the chart. That measures uh, prehistoric uh, humans by feet. This is, we've clipped up a couple. We're at least at that prehistoric human's shoulder by now, at the level of flirting we have here.
2: Scully's like, oh yeah, the Jersey Devil, kind of like an East Coast Bigfoot. Incorrect, except in this episode of The X-Files, apparently. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mulder gets a car. Uh, Scully size. That's how the scene ends.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, oh, from the... The autopsy report of the being that they shot mm-hmm. in 1947. It's important to note that they revealed human flesh and bones in the man's large intestine. Cannibalism. A tale as old as time. Yeah. Scully's like, it's a myth, but she will be shown to be taken.
1: I wondered which one of us would get there first. And Jenny, Eve have won. Congratulations. <laughs>
2: Thank you. So we go to Atlantic City.
1: Jenny, do you have uh, Atlantic City memories in your life as a New Jerseyan?
2: One of my good friends from high school got married there on St. Patrick's Day, like at a time in my life when I was like always on tour. But she happened to be getting married in like a three day window where I where I was home from a tour and not yet gone on a tour. And I went to the the wedding. And we were like outside on the streets of Atlantic City with a wedding photographer, like me and the other bridesmaids and the bride. And a, a girl, like across the street and like diagonal, I don't even know how, r- recognized me and was like yelling compliments across the street. This is my primary, primary Atlantic City memory, which is not, which is distinctly unlike most of my memories of most places
1: (laughs) she she was like I've found the Jersey devil it's the Jersey (laughs) devil (laughs) um have you gambled at Atlantic City have you played craps or done roulette or anything
2: no no I don't I don't with gambling yeah that's not for me
1: yeah, I, I've i also been to Atlantic City once or twice. Um, my biggest memory is uh, being at the roulette table and um, spilling my entire vodka tonic on the table. And let me tell you, kids, uh, it's pretty dramatic when you spill a drink on a gambling table. They have to shut the whole operation down, in fact. Mm. And I was so mortified. I think about it sometimes just apropos of nothing I just think about that time I spilled my whole drink on a table and the gambling had to stop and everyone at the table was mad at me and I was so (laughs) embarrassed
2: (laughs) anyway well thankfully I've never been to the Atlantic City morgue where we're going now a medical examiner who is deemed unnecessarily hot according to my wife (laughs) tells them that these bite marks are human from a large adult male
1: yeah about that the victim's name is roger crockett and uh the detective enters and he's he's pissed detective
2: thomas thompson uh (laughs) (laughs) somebody had not yet had their coffee when they named this character (laughs) good old tom tom
1: uh he comes on in and he's mad and mulder's first line of defense jenny don't worry Scully is a medical
2: doctor, actually. <gasps> in spite of this revelation, Thompson uh, promptly tells them to fuck off.
1: Yes, he says he feels he's been perfectly polite. A tale as old as time in New Jersey. We're all feeling <laughs> New Jersey and New York. We're being polite. It doesn't sound like it, but we are. Okay.
2: I <laughs> so mean, just deal with it.
1: This is an episode where Scully has... I I refer to it very... randomly as flirting level four earlier but like i really feel like Scully is at a particular level of flirting with Mulder at this point she I guess it is episode five so perhaps she started at zero and she's at level four now but she's just Mm. so cozy with him she's so cozy she is jabbing him and ribbing him and any other word that you use that is three (laughs) letters in short to mean Mm. teasing a person that you have Mm. a crush on You missed your opening, Mulder. You could have really humiliated him and told him it was the Jersey
2: devil. She just... (laughs) Also, Mulder smiles at this. He is tickled. Yeah,
1: he is. They love each other. And it becomes really... There's a couple of moments where I scream in all caps um, in my notes. And this is one of them because he says... You got a date when she says she has to be back in D.C. <laughs> and her look at him, she's like, oh, sh- we're going there? Episode five. She looks at her watch. She says, episode five? OK. <laughs> <laughs> she's got her godson's birthday party, Jenny.
2: So M- Mulder decides to stay in town and send Scully home to drive by herself for three hours in Friday night traffic. Rude. Mulder hits the casino, opens the phone book, and when he doesn't see a listing for Jersey Devil, comma the he <laughs> opts to instead call the Parks Department.
1: This guy, his name is not creme brulee, but it's what I uh, call him in my in my notes because it's something boule, boule, brulee. This uh, Park Service guy, I love uh, this this dude, and I love his t- fucking truck more than I even love the man. The, the truck is the hottest thing in the episode. And that's saying a lot.
2: He's got a great vibe. Ranger Peter Boulet, who I refer to in my notes as just Ranger Mustache. Mm. He's been on the job for some time and he tells Mulder everything he knows. I love
1: um, this dynamic that I imagine we're going to see more and more in the show, which is like a very particular kind of like flirtation. It's not like a I want to get sexy with you flirtation. It's like a are you a believer or are you a non believer mm. flirtation, you know, where like every person takes a tiny step forward to see the reaction of the other person as they meander down this path. And the park ranger and Mulder are very much having this dance of like, I don't know. They say it could be the Jersey Devil. And Mulder's like, that sounds crazy. Do you think it's the (laughs) Jersey Devil? And, you know, we find out that they're both believers. This guy has seen some stuff. He's seen uh, some human poop in the woods, which really, I mean, could be (laughs) anything. Uh, Please. He said scat. He did say scat. But doesn't scat mean poop? Not only will Jenny not say the word poop, but she also will neither confirm nor deny if it is or is not short for poop. Short for poop. Another way of saying poop. Okay. Um, In addition to finding human poop in the woods, which I think is very common, my best friend, Randy, she constantly has to poop all the time. And so she's probably pooped in the woods a million. Don't people poop in the woods?
2: Please stop. (laughs) Okay.
1: Anyway, Jenny, what else did he find?
2: He also found a rabbit with a human tooth in it and deer bones sharpened into tools. And also one time he saw a large naked man come out of the birch trees, sniff the air, apparently smell ranger mustache and then run off.
1: God, do you think tiny baby Shauna just took a giant chomp out of that rabbit in the woods? Oh my God, she's not even a tiny baby. She's totally a teenager. (sighs) (laughs)
2: She hasn't learned about eating rabbits yet. That's true. Uh... Did you notice that Mulder is staying at a motel called the Galaxy Gateway? (laughs) I did. I did.
1: Yeah, was like, that goes along with my alien personality. All right. So here at this birthday party where no one wants to be, like the children don't want to be there. The Golden
2: Retriever. The Golden Retriever is having an inarguably
1: great time. That's true. Uh, The Golden Retriever is eating the cake as the kids are blowing out the candles. Scully, I guess this is her... It's her best, best friend, friend, Ellen. That's her it's best her friend. best friend, Ellen. Ellen. Um, I wish that I could have found a drop of sexual tension between these two. You know, I wanted no. to. It wasn't there. It was simply not there for us. Scully, however, Jenny is wearing a motherfucking suede vest. Okay, Swing. I know
2: over a short sleeved scoop neck. Shell, a combination of words I haven't thought about since I was in high school, working as a stock boy at various women's clothing stores. This is the outfit.
1: I know everybody's all falling over themselves for the lace top that she wears to the date. Fuck the lace top. Give me Scully in this suede vest every day of the week. I texted our our friend and former host of Angel on Top, Laura Zach, is a Jillian uh, Anderson file. I think you could you could say mm. she really really into Scully. I texted her specifically. I said you will not believe it is only episode five, and this bitch is wearing a <laughs> suede vest. I don't know how I'm supposed to survive. Anyway. At the party, the kids are eating cake and slamming into walls wearing, uh, like ape masks, which is, you yes. know, I get it, guys. I get, I get what you're doing here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, and, um, Ellen's like, Oh, Dana, you're so good with kids. You should have some of your own. Uh, and Scully's like, I need a man to do that. It- uh, and I have no Ellen's idea like,
1: what Jenny just said because she went so high that the mic literally actually stopped <laughs> picking you
2: up. I heard nothing. <laughs> uh, Ellen's like, What about that guy you work with? I thought you said he was cute. This is Scully said Mulder was cute to her best friend. This is
1: not only in all caps. I have bolded it and highlighted it in yellow in my notes. Like, I (laughs) I couldn't find a way to get more excited about this. (laughs)
2: like size
1: 55 font. Yeah. (laughs) She says he's a jerk. He's not a jerk. He's just obsessed with his work and setting the secondary theme of the episode, right? Like, the primary theme is evolution de-evolution are humans (laughs) simply going to destroy themselves uh what is happening here and then the other question is what do you do when you're obsessed with your work and this guy who's really cute is obsessed with his work how do you find that man ding 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 it's that guy
2: (laughs) who's obsessed with his work kids well before we can ding, 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 we have to ding, dong, because at the door, <laughs> oh it's eligible divorcee Rob. Oh, God. He belongs to one of the screaming children.
1: Yeah. Honestly, his kids seemed more behaved than any of the other kids. I will say hmm. that. That's uh, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ellen, like, scream whispers, stage whispers from uh, the hallway.
2: <laughs> Divorced. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Kristen, um, in, in the time since we've been divorced, how many times have you been in a situation where someone, you know, has stage whispered to someone else when you entered a room, divorced.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, Scully didn't notice it. So I'm sure that's happened a million times. I just haven't noticed, you know? Mm -hmm, Mm hmm. Oh, we should have invited nice guy Rob on the pod. What if our whole shtick was that it was just anybody who was divorced in universe? We invited that actor onto the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we go to the, quote, outskirts of Atlantic City. We're surrounding a mission, the Mercy Mission, and there are uh, several houseless people um, set up here with tents uh, and and the uh, houseless population of... Atlantic City will be a a key player in this episode, so we'll get a little further on before we talk about that in more detail. Uh, Mulder,
2: a very chill guy, walks the street, loudly asking, did anybody here know Roger Crockett? Jack did. Jack did. Jack's like, I'll show you something. They go down an alley, and he produces Kristen what is it that he produces? I can't believe it Jenny. He produced a drawing of Samantha Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so This is a drawing of a humanoid creature that Kristen once identified incorrectly as Samantha Mulder and then correctly, I guess, as the quote Jersey Devil in our episode 0 live stream. First of all, Jenny,
1: as yet, we do not know who Samantha Mulder is, and apart from Fox Mulder's sister, there is nothing telling me that she unequivocally is not also the Jersey Devil. So, okay, okay, I'm not, I'm not resting my case. Um, but also, why, why this drawing? Why, why? Yeah, you- Mulder, like all of us, is like. What is this? <laughs> there's a scene. There's a scene where to, where Tom Tom, Detective Tom Tom is holding it and he just giggles and I was like literally same. That is that is the like Detective Tom Tom, I don't really like you except for when you giggle at this drawing
2: the way that I giggled at this drawing. Why? Did they the make- chain of custody of this evidence question mark is that Jack found it in the pocket of a jacket he came upon. He found this drawing and was like, "Oh yes, I recognize this. It's the Jersey Devil. I'm going to hang on to it for safekeeping."
1: Does anyone have information on why this was the drawing that was chosen for use by the props department? Like, was it the the funniest joke that had ever been made? Like, it was it just simply that they had they asked for everyone to draw what they thought the Jersey Devil might look like in this episode, and they picked the funniest oh, yeah. one. How? Yeah, did it- yeah, yeah, yeah. How did it happen? I I live in Kingston, New York, and um, there was a contest for uh, I voted stickers and uh you know they were like the, the, the bubble font or like a whatever just normal submissions and then there's this one that's like this crazy spider with like legs and sunglasses and he's like screaming I voted and it's very hilarious and very bizarre and the internet got a hold of the contest and so the sticker won by like a landslide uh, <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> so I have one of that when I voted I got the sticker I was so excited and so I have saved it and I just feel like perhaps similar similar happened on the side of the X-Files for this drawing.
2: Mulder trades sleeping arrangements with Jack for the night. Mm-hmm. Jack's like, does uh, the Galaxy Gateway have HBO? He's pumped. Uh, then Mulder looks at the drawing again while a mysterious ancient woodwind music plays. Uh, this is not the first time, nor I'm sure will it be the last, that we've heard a music cue like this Uh, to indicate that something tribal or primitive is going down.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, the episode is like doing one thing, which is talking about like evolutionary stuff, but then in that is embedded this idea of like the primitive and these other very, very problematic uh, concepts that have been embedded in our society, that are associated with music like this and a whole bunch of other things, but it's it's like it's it's two things are happening at once. It's not like all that one thing.
2: Okay, so later that night, Mulder is burritoed in a blanket when he hears some rustling over yonder. <laughs> he sees a figure sneaking around, snagging some things out of the trash. Uh, he gives chase. Uh, he sees it up on a rooftop all of a sudden, and he whistles to it, and Kristen... They make what some might call significant eye contact. Are you calling for my jingle? I am. Wow. Look, when you whistle to someone from far away and they look at you and you look at them, you share a moment of mutual acknowledgement. That's fair. I will allow for the jingle, but I would
1: like to note for all of the record keepers in our listenership that this is not going on the board as significant eye contact because the Abacus is for a significant eye contact only between Scully and Mulder, okay? So the jingle stands, but the counter stays. Okay. That's more than fair. So the cops roll up, and uh, Mulder is like, there's a man up on that roof, and the cops are like, okay, sure, buddy, we're gonna, like, take you in and give you someplace warm to be. And the cops generally are painted as a group of uh, human beings who do not give a single fuck about the houseless population in their city, uh, which is uh, an accurate depiction by all accounts, um, but they do take Mulder into the drunk tank. Uh, they, do, they do that.
2: They do, and uh, they also get Thompson up in the middle of the night he comes down to the station and Mulder accuses Thompson of like sweeping this activity under the rug so that the dice can keep rolling and then and then Mulder says I know who's responsible. I've seen it and produces the doodle.
1: <laughs> this is when this is when <laughs> Detective Tom Tom does his giggle and I'm like that's the one time I liked you, Tom Tom. Uh yeah. And he's like, You've been spending too much time in supermarket lines. This is actually, Jenny, the, the second time that I even remember in the show where we are getting this reference to like Star Magazine and like, you know, these, these things that you hmm. would see in the supermarket line and still do, uh, where like a woman gave birth to a lizard baby, etc. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, the detective is basically saying, like, he knows that there. There's a perpetrator out there, and he doesn't care if it's Hannibal the Cannibal or Elmer Fudd. It's his job to protect the people of Atlantic City. It's a whole lot of bullshit from our detective. And um, I believe Mulder to be correct, uh, even before the plot to this episode is resolved, uh, we're just trying to bring in money to the casinos here. We don't give a shit about the houseless population, and we sure don't give a shit about uh, Mr. or Mrs. Devilette. <laughs>
3: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dallowitz, and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Back at FBI headquarters in D.C., Scully gets a call from Mulder when she asks him, What's that noise in the background? He tells her the truth. That's a guy getting sick because Mulder is in the drunk tank.
1: Scully is wearing a mint green suit. Please note it in your record books. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to get him in Atlantic City
2: because she loves him. Yes, and then she takes him to a diner. And did you notice his like coffee grounds five o'clock shadow (laughs) yeah it
1: really does look like he just rubbed coffee grounds on his face (laughs) yeah
2: uh mulder's like if this creature is such a man eater why didn't it eat me the pinnacle of manhood (laughs) There's going to
1: be a lot of ongoing conversation about who is the Scully and who is the Mulder out of the two of us. Uh, Someone on the Internet posited the problem is that you're both Mulders, and I do agree with that statement. But, Jenny, (laughs) this Mulder is you at the diner Really doesn't even know that Scully is there. He is simply talking to himself about his theories. He is invested. He is excited. He does like nothing can stop this man from his excitement about learning more hmm. about the Jersey Devil. That is Jenny Owen Young's. So.
2: Well, nothing can stand in my way when I'm on a quest for information. But if Scully told me she had to get back to DC by 7:30 because she has a date, I would not say, can you cancel? Can you cancel! <laughs> but I'm glad he does. <laughs> wow oh she's like
1: unlike you Mulder I would like to have a life and he says I have a life (laughs) (laughs) so despite Scully having a date tonight and despite her like really not believing how absolutely obsessed Mulder is with this nonsense she has set up a meeting with a professor at the University of Maryland who specializes in anthropology okay I I I didn't know if he would just specialize in cryptids, but I guess anthropology makes sense. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't think they offer professorships in um, cryptidology. (laughs) This actor is Gregory Sierra. Uh, He was on Sanford and Son. Oh, wow. He was on some other stuff. Uh, He's been around for, well, he died in 2021, but he was in a ton of stuff and... As Latoya noted for us, he's of Puerto Rican descent. So we have a person of color One. showing up
1: <laughs> yeah. in the main feed. Wow. Yeah. And he he talks about um, some of the stuff we've brought up already. The top carnivore uh, concept. Other, Do you know any other top carnivores, Jenny, off the top of your head?
2: Can I guess? Yeah. How many are there?
1: Well, I have three listed. I don't know how many there are.
2: Okay. Uh, lion. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Orca? Ooh, not I, on your list.
1: It's not on my list, but that's a really good guess. Say me, uh, a person who just learned what a top carnivore is, like oh, twenty minutes ago. Oh, uh, shark! I don't have. I, I will tell you. I I sadly do not have any aquatic carnivores. Nothing in the sea. Okay, Nothing okay. Sea. Let me
2: set me back to having two more slots. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Top carnivores. Lion. What about witch and wardrobe? <laughs>
1: No, but try that again. Try what else comes to your mind. Ah, uh,
2: lions, tigers,
1: and bears, yeah, perhaps? It's not, it's not bears, but it is lions and tigers.
2: The other top predator. Is it another cat?
1: No, it's not a cat.
2: OK. Is it a gorilla?
1: No. It would. It, it... <laughs> Do you want me to give you a clue or you'll just simply just get it? One clue, please. OK. It makes a sound like caca. A crow? No, but that's correct. It does make a sound like a caca. What does a
2: hawk sound like? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, is it even fair for me to say a crow says caca? I have... <laughs> when I did uh. caca,
1: I literally in my mind was like, that's a fucking crow, stupid. So, you know.
2: Okay. Thank you for, for letting me spend all of this time here. So we're talking about lion's Tigers and hawks.
1: Yep. Those Where are... did
2: these three top carnivores come from? Uh,
1: well, they're top just... carnivores or top predators. Top, uh, top carnivores. Uh, and but the but the reason that they are top carnivores is that they have no natural predators. Like on their subset of the food chain, they are the top. There is nothing hunting a hawk. There's nothing hunting a lion. There's nothing hunting a tiger, um, mm. and. You know, uh, according to this professor, barring the introduction of alien life form, Mulder's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mulder (laughs) high fives himself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We humans will remain at the top of the food chain. um, And then they have this conversation about, but what if, like, what if a human reverted to its most animalistic instincts? Wouldn't that then put it at the top of the food chain? And the guy's like, yeah, it would just... Eat you coming out of McDonald's. Get McDonald's and a human all in one snack.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the plan that that Scully has here, which is kind of to like show Mulder that he's being so silly, really backfires. backfires. Shows <laughs> up in her face. <laughs> the professor and Mulder are basically high fiving, and Scully is like, "Why have I done this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little aside here, Jenny, from the scene, because um, the professor is like, cannibalism is rare, and Mulder says, even when faced with extinction. And he says, maybe in the jungles of New Guinea. And I I flagged that. I paused the TV because I thought that sounds problematic in at least one way. But why would this line be here? Um, and there is this... So, I found uh, there were many articles, um, but I found an NPR article from 2016 that talks about a a tribe of people called the Four, a tribe of about 11,000 people in Papua New Guinea. um, And they lived in New Guinea in the 1930s uh, and had not made contact with any other humans um, until the 1950s. When other humans found this group of people, they found that they were dying of an inexplicable illness um, where they would, like shiver and then lose control of their limbs and it was like a big mystery of like what was causing this and there were so few of them that like I mean not that any population of people wants to see their members dying of a mysterious illness but there were so few of them that it was like this huge concern of what is happening what is causing this and ultimately they found that as a part of their funeral services as an act of love and grief it was part of the funeral ritual to cook and consume the deceased person. Um, and women were mostly the ones tasked with eating uh, the, the body because they were thought to be able to hold a place in their own body that could um, contain the soul that was very dangerous at this time. It was discovered that eating a human brain um, can cause this infection. What? It was dubbed a slow virus It wasn't actually a virus, Jenny. It wasn't bacterium. It wasn't fungus. It wasn't a parasite. It was an entirely new infectious agent. It had no genetic material. It could survive being boiled Mm. and it was not even alive. Um, Mm. A group of researchers would find years and years later it was actually just a twisted protein. Um, (gasps) Yeah. So I could, I mean, listen, I'm really cribbing from this NPR article. I'll link it in the. Show notes, but all of that is to say that I feel like this association of like this indigenous uh, group of people from Papua New Guinea as cannibals is like this like headline tabloid da 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 thing, and it's connected mm. in some way to this conversation about the the primitive person and these misconceptions that are you know populated in the world and and so like reading this article it's like okay so this was a group of people where part of their ritual to mourn the loss of this dead person in their community um, was consuming that person which is really really different than like talking about a cannibalistic society a society yeah. where we're like eating people um, because we're trying to survive or maybe not even trying to survive and so I just bring it to the fore because in a very messy Kristen Russo kind of way uh, I <laughs> (laughs) I just felt like there was power there in this tiny little line that was said that can underline some of the fucked up shit that happens when we talk about practices that are not our own or that are unfamiliar to us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for digging that all up. Back in Mulder's cave, which is what I'm calling Mulder's office from now on. Yeah. He's, you know, going through his files and he comes across a drawing not entirely unlike The drawing he received from Jack of the Jersey Devil, except this one has one very distinct feature setting it apart from the original drawing. Kristen, it has boobs. It does. This is the drawing that Friend of the Pod Cat refers to as Big Titty Foot. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you would like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Cat, for that. So Scully's on a date with Rob. Wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. Hold okay. back. We're not at the date yet. I have a few things to say about this scene besides uh, Titty McFoot. What is his name? Big, Big Titty, titty foot. <laughs> Big Titty Foot. Big titty Foot. <laughs> his? His? He has boobs? <laughs> titty McFoot. Uh, okay. So A, fucking Mulder is wearing really hot glasses and looks really hot in his glasses. Two, The idea that it is darker in Mulder's basement office at night is hilarious. There is (laughs) never light down there, but we need to know it's nighttime, so he's turned off all the lights. Yeah. Uh, Two. Nope. Three. (laughs) (laughs) Three. I think it's very interesting that the whole episode opens with Mulder reading Hanky Panky and then also has him looking at... This draw like it just there it feels like there's also a mm. something happening between like are we just are we eating to survive or are we eating for pleasure? Like the animalistic nature of man. Like now we're looking mm-hmm. at hanky panky, but before
2: we were looking at cave drawings of boobs. <laughs> uh I No, I celebrate this analysis. Uh, (laughs) There are many different reasons to look at pictures of boobs. In conclusion. (laughs) Okay. A perfect segue to date night, honestly. Okay. Yeah. So Scully's on a date with Rob. He's going on and on about his kids. He wants Scully to go on a beach day with them. Whew. Uh, sh- he's like, dare I ask you about the case you're working? And she's like, not while we're eating, bro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she is dressed up for the date. Uh, she looks great. I would not consider this casual clothes clock, but it is also not pseudo clock. It's a whole nother, we've entered into a whole different category of clothing. She's gone into her closet to a different place than ever before.
2: Yeah, this is like Madonna influenced me heavily at an earlier time in my life but I've since matured. Yes. Yes. Kind of clothing. Ma- mature Madonna. Uh okay, so while this is going on, Ranger Mustache calls Mulder and says, "I found a long-haired male dead in the woods, dead 6 to 8 months, missing that same cuspid I found in the rabbit. What are the odds?" What are and the odds? "Mulder," Pages Scully on her date. And I'll tell you what, Kristen, she's not bothered. She's not bothered at all. She's like, you buzzed me just in time, my friend. <laughs> now, if I was on a date, though, and my my work partner uh, interrupted it, That's I would like a slightly, yes, if I was on a date and you paged me, Kristen, <laughs> and I called you back, I'd like a slightly more compelling pitch than I just had an amazing thought. Maybe it isn't a beast man we're looking for after all. (laughs) I don't know. That sounds like a pitch that would absolutely
1: get you to come down to the woods, you know? (laughs) Um, Before we go back to Atlantic City, is this the third trip now? Um, Let's just hear... For Scully. Yeah. Oh, right. Mulder's just been there the whole time. Uh, She's getting
2: really familiar with this commute.
1: (laughs) Let's just hear um, from our most beloved producer, LaToya, who has a couple of things to say about, quote, nice guy Rob.
2: LaToya's there. LaToya's there.
3: Exes, country people, lend me your sunburned ears, from one scaredy cat to another, and the rest of you hot dogs on the sidelines, not stressing out over watching the X Files. Ooh, you're so cool. I think we all know that the real horrors aren't the extraterrestrials or sexy missing link ladies or early '90s fashion. They're the real life red flags that we see every day as we examine the Scully subplot from this episode with a guy named Rob. No, the red flag isn't being a potential love interest for Scully that isn't Mulder, because to be honest, Mulder is a whole host of red flags himself. But every Rob scene begins like the ending of a scene from a Lifetime film. And I'm not talking about a Lifetime Christmas movie, baby. The first thing to note about Rob is that, unlike Denal Logue as Tom Colton and Squeeze, where you think we might see him again, this casting is clearly 100% not long for this world, as... Rob is played by Canadian local hire, Andrew Arlisle, a man who is in Final Destination 2, which is pretty much the ultimate test to see if an actor is Canadian. But my point is, Rob is barely even long for this episode for that obvious reason. And then Rob opens his mouth. He's a divorcee with a son, which explains why he arrives at Scully's godson's birthday party alone in the first place. But then he decides it's a good first date talk to talk about dreaming of running over his ex-wife's new husband, slash son stepfather just to be clear if mm from the boys said this about his daughter's stepfather we would all be in total agreement but like mm wouldn't say that on a first date because he has swag and because that would not be a normal thing to say to anyone you just met especially anyone you just met who has no connection to the people you're talking about even weirder he continues on to suggest that she hang out with him and his son soon he actually says the kids, which is the first time he suggests she drag her godson along to Playhouse. This is a first date. Is this why I'm single? Because I find this shit abnormal? Am I the weird one here? Then the first thing he seems to ask her about herself on this date is about the FBI case she's currently working on, which she obviously can't answer, which allows him to go back to talking about himself and his job in estate planning. Okay, so that's normal for a straight man, but to be fair, Normal for a straight man is still bad. He then calls Scully at work and knows he's calling Scully at work, and I highly doubt she gave him her office number. He does this to ask her last minute to go with him and Scott, his kid, and Trent, her godson, to Cirque du Soleil. This would be their second date, asking her the day of what would have been their third date had this continued? A shotgun wedding? A stop at the fertility clinic? A trip to his Joe Goldberg-esque glass cage? Well, the male writers of the show surely thought writing this that Rob would look like the ideal guy that Scully just wouldn't be interested at this time. At no point did anything this guy dangle her way come across as anything other than a ruse to lull Scully into a false sense of security. And I'll tell you what, there was nothing secure about any of this. Nothing. So yeah, that was the true horror story of this episode, if you ask me. And you know what? I know for a fact that you did. Back to you, Kristen and Jenny. La Lair,
2: La the toy is there. The toy is there. You whisper, Mama's here. You can enter if you dare. Welcome to the La toy is there. Finally, someone was brave enough to say it. Thank you, LaToya. <laughs>
1: Thank you, LaToya. All right, so now we've got like, it's twin peaks o'clock in here. There's literally, the park ranger is here, the professor is here, Scully is here, Mulder is here. It's, we've got a whole crew of four riding in to solve this case once and for all.
2: They go by the morgue, but the local police have intercepted the body, it seems. Uh, Mulder's like, there's a 50-50 chance there was a mate. Based on what? What are you basing a 50-50 chance on? I'm just
1: curious. I mean, he, he basically is just like, either this guy was too obsessed with his work and didn't have a mate, or he was <laughs> a nice guy with a son who was divorced. <laughs> 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so their plan is to trank, th- like they bring a trank gun on their hunt if you want to call it that. This was a mistake. Yeah. This is a fucking bummer. Um, but b- before we get to the bummer of it all, the professor, Jenny, picks up a rag from the floor and takes a deep whiff of
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always doing this in abandoned buildings. <laughs> what? Sir? I'm like, how can I get whatever's on this rag deep inside my <laughs> respiratory system as quickly as possible? God. And the huffing commences. He decides that this is blood that he has huffed.
1: And uh, he says she could be bringing her killings here or she could be injured. The tribal music swells and it is (laughs) deeply upsetting. Come on. Come on. Well, yeah. What if any other choice was made? Yeah. Uh, What if also they didn't send the SWAT team in? What about that?
2: I mean... When when we overhear downstairs that the detective Detective Thompson is talking to Ranger Mustache, and he's like, "His name is Mulder. Do you know him?"
1: <laughs> I was so pr- I had so little emotional attachment to the professor, but I was so proud of him when he didn't give Mulder up. You know, I was just like, "Yeah, oh, you know, everybody here is from New Jersey. You know what I mean?" That's right. <laughs> he's not even. That's how a professor we do in Maryland, but still. Okay, so the SWAT team is here, and I just we, – we talked a little bit about the conversation. <laughs> Clearly, we talked about the drawing of the Jersey Devil, and we talked about uh, Mulder spending the night in the houseless camp and so on and so forth. I think that just something important to point out here is that the SWAT team and the cops – care about getting the FBI out of there and off their case because they allegedly but literally just want to keep the tourism up in Atlantic City. Scully and Mulder are concerned with the, well, Mulder is concerned with the origin story of the Jersey Devil and what is the deal here? What is happening? I would like to answer One X-File today on this episode of television No one in this particular circle of life gives a solitary fuck about the houseless folks or any of their care. And so I just, I think that it is important to point that out. There are some pitfalls that the the episode doesn't fall into. Like Mulder takes Jack very seriously. He trusts the folks here in this community more than anyone else. A plus Mulder. Um, There is no implication of like laziness or drug use, which is so often found, uh, especially in 1990s television shows when we're talking about houseless folks. But this cycle uh is both accurate and unfortunate where no one gives a fuck about the houseless people here. It's really just you either care about getting the FBI off your ass or you care about, you know, the the latest
2: cryptid. Speaking of the latest cryptid, <laughs> Mulder catches a glimpse of the Jersey Devilette and gives chase. He he figures The most effective way to move from point A to point B is to do a somersault and then is promptly followed by Scully doing the same somersault in her suit and heels. (laughs) Let the record show. I screamed at the first
1: somersault and I could not believe my luck when there were two. (laughs) Also, Jenny, in between, and I'm going to, I promise you, if you're a listener of this podcast, I promise you I will make this compilation because Jenny, after The first somersault happens by Mulder. Scully takes another Diet Coke break. (laughs) She literally leans in the window to look out (laughs) at Mulder before deciding to somersault herself. Yes. Okay, so... This is basically one long scene where we're just like moving through abandoned buildings. I do want to give a Mm -hmm. shout out to the abandoned building where Mulder winds up finding the Jersey Devilette. It's really like the fan is slowly spinning from the air moving through it. It's very drippy, like some Nightmare on Elm Street (laughs) vibes in this place. I like it. Very drippy. (laughs) Very drippy. And we get this meeting.
2: Yes, they meet at last. We should say that the Jersey Devilette is portrayed by Claire Stansfield, who fans of Xeno Warrior Princess may be familiar with uh, because she played a character, an antagonist named Alti, It was very intense. Uh, big fan.
1: One day I'll watch Xeno Warrior Princess. One day. I
2: would celebrate that. Yeah, she
1: um, sees Mulder. She jumps on top of him. She looks just like a regular girl. Just a regular, beautiful girl who's a little bit dirty, which is a choice. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> maybe she's born with it. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's the maybe it's that leg she ate. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Scully comes through, and as that happens, Mulder sits up. This startles her. She pushes him down, and in doing so cuts him i guess she has very long nails
2: which is very common in new jersey oh sorry what (laughs) wow (laughs) um yeah i am curious about the like physiology yeah at play here because scully a medical doctor famously uh is like she almost tore your lungs out almost tore your lungs out with her fingernails even in new jersey that's uncommon
1: to say the least like, Eugene Toombs could just push his little hand right through a chest, and the Jersey Devilette can just slice and dice with her fingernails. So Mulder is like, you should have seen her, Scully. She was beautiful. And this is like, you know, I mean, again, the show is like really walking a line with humanizing or dehumanizing this uh, character, you know, of the Jersey Devil, Jersey Devilette. And I, I like, Mulder's right on the line because he, he he really is i think in awe of the fact that he has just experienced this for real like it's not you know what i mean like this really happened mm. like he is he is wounded and that wound is from this woman um and and like that I think is what he is in awe of it's close for me though and honestly if you're a listener and you're like nah fuck all the way off Kristen this is what I think like super fair I think there's a lot of different ways to to read this and interpret it either way we go to the ambulance
2: any excuse to get a little shirtless to Duchovny I'll t- I mean, I'll the take this shirtless
1: to company any day. I love this scene. Like, I know that's, like, ridiculous because nothing even really happens, but it's so chaotic. Like, I just think... You know, to get to get a scene to feel Mm. this chaotic in such a real way has to be a huge lift on the part of the director and everyone involved. And I just think they nail it. Like all the people are talking in different things. It's very like David Mamet in its (laughs) dialogue, you know, just like really, Uh really scattered and all over the place. Basically, we see that Scully is trying to get federal jurisdiction over the case. Everyone's pissed off. Mulder and the professor are like thick as fucking thieves. They are best friends. BFF, the professor and Mulder. Um, and in the chaos that is happening, this uh, Jersey devilette jumps out of a second
2: story window and runs. Impressive leap. Mulder squad decides to head to the woods to try to beat the police to her. Uh, Ranger mustache shoots her from afar with a tranquilizer, which was a I'm sorry to say, terrible move. She's still fleeing, mm-hmm. but she's slowed down, and then the police are able to catch up to her and kill her.
1: and I but not before
2: she tries to take the arm off of an officer. thank god.
1: um i I think that she would have gotten away if they hadn't tried, yeah, her, which is this... like, yeah.
2: Maybe best not to interfere. Mulder does the the hand pass, close her eyes thing, which uh, my mortician friend told me is not a thing. Really? Yeah, she said that usually, um, when people come in to the morgue, their eyes are like half open, and like that, just brushing your hand over when they're they're newly dead does not yield this result. Not effective. Are you a mortician? Do you disagree? Please email us at hello at bufferingcast.com or call us at one 800 I'm a mortician. <sighs> this is really
1: sad, though. You know, like I mean, Mulder is basically just too sad to even put up a fight about it. He just asks Detective Tom, why'd you have to kill her? Um, and he says, same reason you'd kill a rabid animal. Um the the dehumanization of this woman is is like written very well in the script because anytime at least to my watch anytime the SWAT team or the cops or the or anyone in that camp is referring to her they say it uh, whereas uh, Mulder uh pretty much exclusively said like refers to her as her once you know he understands what's happening um mm-hmm. But yeah, Mulder is very upset, and uh, Scully, I'm not going to call for the jingle here. This is very significant eye contact, but it is not in the category that I play the jingle for. It is (laughs) long eye contact for Scully to be like, we need to leave. You are going to get us in even more trouble. We have to get out of here, okay? Okay, this is bad.
2: Back once again in Mulder's cave, Mulder is reviewing photos of the Jersey Devilette. May she rest in peace. Very strategically placed leaves um, covering her bathing suit area for modesty. <laughs> she also looks like she's wearing a ring in the first She photo. does. She does. I agree. <gasps> Is that her,
1: her wedding, wedding ring? Her wedding ring to Mr. Jersey Mr. Devil. Mr. Jersey Devil?
2: Yeah. Uh, they did find human bone in her digestive tract, Uh, Scully reveals, and also... Nothing uh, about her suggested prehistoric bone structure or physiology. But. But. Her uterus indicates that she may have given birth. Mulder is on fire. It all makes sense. The male died. She came out of the wood to get food for the child. Um, Scully's like, please go drink a beer. (laughs) Please. Please. Mulder's like, yeah, never!
1: No, Mulder's like, who needs beer when I have the Smithsonian?
2: <laughs> That's right. Fucking. Uh, somehow, okay, the phone rings. It's for Scully. Somehow Rob got this number, and he's calling to ask Scully out.
1: I write in my notes,
2: Cirque de Soleil or Fox de Mulder. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Mulder is requisitioning a car yet again. <laughs> and uh Scully comes to tag along. This is her ideal date night, actually.
1: Actually agree. Let's hear let's hear these two crazy kids have a little exchange, shall we? Hmm.
3: Who's that on the phone? A guy.
1: A guy. Same guy as the guy you had dinner with the other night?
3: Same guy. Gonna have dinner with him again? I don't think so. No interest. Not at this time.
2: Thanks, Fran. Mulder says, don't you have a life, Scully? Scully says, keep that up, Mulder, and I'll hurt you like that beast woman. Mulder says, eight million years out of Africa. And Scully says, and look who's holding the door. It's Scully. It's Scully. And also,
1: it's, this is flirt level five. We're up to five.
2: Yeah. They're in love. Uh, they're best friends, but they're also in love. God, it only took five episodes for her to admit it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, back in the now-familiar New Jersey woods, a father and child are hiking. Dad is telling this kid about the Jersey Devil when a little kiddo pops up out of a hole. Mulder was right. <laughs>
1: Jersey Devil Jr. Jersey Devil Jr. It's actually Jersey Devil Jr. Jr. Really?
2: Oh, true. Yeah. Grandchild. (sighs) Um, (laughs) Latoya sent us a meme about how this child looks like Snooki from the Jersey Shore. Honestly, the meme is
1: not telling a lie. Yeah. And it goes along with my theory of long nails. You know what I mean? You, snooki's got No oh boy some all right na- all right snooki has those long nails because she learned it from her mom the jersey devilette
2: It's <laughs> okay <sighs> true love well speaking of true love and everything that goes along with it it's time for this episode's installment of the sexual tension awards Kristen, we're back with four slots and plenty of noms to fill them. Uh, In slot number one, who's this for? The normie vote? The divorcee vote? I don't know. But in slot number one, it's what I'm sure will be unpopular, but still someone's favorite pairing. It's Scully and Rob.
1: It's It's just like three sad, newly divorced people
2: that they're like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, it gets better in slot number two uh, you know Scully spends time with someone else in this episode and so in fact does Mulder he explores his options it's Mulder and Hanky Panky Magazine (laughs) in slot number three I thought this might be the first human and machine pairing but actually it's not Uh, we've been here before (laughs) but never quite so personally it's Kristen Kristen and Ranger Mustache's truck. Hot, hot, hot. And in slot number four, interest possibly at this time, it's Mulder and Scully. Someone replied to the
1: Sexual Attention Award poll uh, a couple weeks ago and said, I can't ever get past the fact that it's written Scully and Mulder when it's clearly Mulder and Scully. I'm sorry. I'm new to the fandom. I will reverse the order of the names and say it the way that everybody says it. Uh, I I apologize for
2: my indiscretion. Thank you for apologizing. (laughs) Uh, If you want to be a part of our little democracy here, please cast your vote in our Sexual Attention Award poll. You can find it on our Twitter at BufferingCast. And the poll will be live for five days from the drop of this episode.
3: Sexual Attention
2: Award. Well, Kristen, I was just wondering, how's your crystal ball looking? Jenny, thank you
1: so much for asking. I just have a few um, updates. First of all, um, last episode, I told you that I would be doing a deeper dive into Taylor Swift's 1989 to find more clues about aliens. Jenny, um, upon further investigation, it seems as though 1989 is actually just about falling in and out of love and not about aliens. So I would like to (laughs) close the x file. However, if we ever need to pair lyrics to a love affair between two people on the show, I am well equipped.
2: That, I'm sure, will come in handy.
1: Also, someone did let me know that Bad Blood is the name of an X-File episode and also a Taylor Swift song from 1989. So there are two connections, but I really did pour over the lyrics looking for anything. And I, maybe you can tell me. Listeners, if you would like this case to remain open, please send your evidence to hello (laughs) at bufferingcast.com. Um... My only two other notes, apart from any questions you might have for me, Jenny, are uh, one, I think Scully and Mulder are going to kiss each other before the season is over. Whoa. And like, if they don't, there has to be something real big standing in the way. So I don't know what that might be, but like, if left to their own devices, these two would be making out by next week.
2: Wow. And I also have decided
1: that Scully for sure must have a cat i i am i am so resolutely convinced that scully has a cat at home but it also made me wonder how the fuck she keeps all of her suits so clean from cat hair you know
2: probably the wardrobe department (laughs) if only i had one of those (laughs) uh do you think we'll ever have an episode in new jersey again oh how could we not they're only in dc
1: we better have right, an episode in right. New Jersey again because I did not get nearly enough opportunity to do my Jersey accent in this one. You oh, know? G-
2: is it a Jersey accent? Is that what it is?
1: Oh, are you trying to distinguish between uh, Staten Island, no, Long Island? No,
2: no. I mean, Jersey? I'm I'm trying to suggest that no one distinguishes. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any other questions for you at this time, but I like where your head's at with the kissing. Great.
1: I also like where my head's at with the kissing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, we did it, Jenny. We we solved another file.
2: Yeah, I would say that the status of this X file is both hankied and pankied. Wow. <laughs> to satisfaction. <laughs> would
1: you say that this case came with a bountiful bevy of beautiful bare-bottomed babes?
2: I mean, I think it would be disrespectful to say that, but I celebrate that you asked. <laughs> Thank you. I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) I guess that's it for us. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, every week we like to solve the X-File for who the hell are you?
2: Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, I walk in, throw a file down on Kristen's (laughs) desk and say, hey, Kristen, ever heard of Jenny Owen Young's? (laughs) When she's not watching the X-Files or Buffy, she's usually writing songs. She's got a brand new Album of instrumental music coming out this very Friday, May 5th. It's called From the Forest Floor, and you can find it on your favorite streaming platform. You can also give her, Jenny, me, (laughs) a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Jenny Owen Youngs. And uh, hey, you can also join me for occasional live streams on my Twitch channel, including one coming up next Wednesday, May 10th.
1: If you're really quiet in the woods of New Jersey, you can also sometimes see her hiding beneath the trees.
2: It's true.
1: I'm Kristen Russo. Um, I was, I should have gone with your file bit, but I didn't. I decided you did it well enough for both of us. Uh, <laughs> you can find me, should you be looking for me, uh, on the internet. And you can use the spelling of my first and middle name, Kristen Nolene, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E, to follow me on Twitter. On Were you just dancing to the jingle that you wrote in your head? That's right. You can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, um, and also on TikTok. I don't know why you would. I don't do anything there, but you could follow me there. Uh, and uh, that is also my website, kristinolene.com, where you can learn about the work that I do with LGBTQ plus communities. The month is May, which means we're really close to June, which means that if you are looking for somebody to speak to your workplace about LGBTQ plus issues, it's a real
2: hot commodity
1: in June. You just let me know.
2: Buffering, a rewatch adventure, is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and also TikTok at BufferingCast. Or you could drop us an email at hello at BufferingCast.com. You can support us on Patreon at
1: patreon.com slash BufferingCast, or by buying some of our hot, hot merchandise. All of that and more can be found on our website, BufferingCast.com.
2: This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen Youngs, and Latoya Ferguson, with support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. It was edited by John Mark Nelson. Until next time, the the pod pod is out is out there.
0: that moment when you realize danger is right around the corner? Maybe you feel it on the, on the back of your neck, like those little hairs that stick up, right? Or or the palms of your hands are itchy and hot at the same time, where your heart is beating so fast it's it's like a hum? Well, I love that feeling, and I'm pretty sure that you do too. So let me introduce you to Adrenaline. My name is Neil Helligers, and I am the host of Adrenaline, which is a curated collection of Realm's most riveting thrillers. And as your host, I'll be here to guide you through a new audio series coming at you each month. So whether you're uncovering the secret of disappearing ships in the Bermuda Triangle or in the race of your life against time and your evil doppelganger and it's only Tuesday, fight or flight are not your only options in the face of danger. Sometimes you just need to keep on listening. So buckle in, yeah, get get that one too, yeah, that chin strap is important. And get ready to embark on a journey of adrenaline. Available wherever you get your podcasts.